Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show. The whole point of doing this show is to get people thinking about things that can happen in the future, in the second half of life, the later years of life. These are things that at Keystone Elder Law, we see families going through all the time. And sometimes we're going through this with them and there there are some missed opportunities that with a little bit of planning years before, uh, the whole situation could be going more smoothly. That's why we we like to say that you know it's our man it's our our mantra at at Keystone Elder Law that we shield the middle class from the costs of getting older, and and I've said it before on this show that the costs are often of a financial nature, but they can also be emotional costs and or challenges that the family goes through. Picture the the adult child who is trying to hold things together for mom and dad while while dad needs nursing home care. Mom is obviously just worried about dad's health, uh, but she's also starting to get very worried about herself when the nursing home bill every month is $13,000. And, you know, so we can work backward from that situation and we can put in place legal planning, an estate plan that would make sure that a transition like this happens uh, but does not consume finances. It it doesn't cause someone to worry endlessly about living in poverty because these things are manageable. But the, the, the more you get in, out in front of it, the better. This stuff can be complicated. That's why I do online workshops nearly every week to explain in plain English how this all plays out, how I see it playing out for real families all across central Pennsylvania, And most importantly, how you build a shield to protect yourself against it. That's why I do the the, the weekly workshops. You can go to keystoneelderlaw.com using the workshops tab. Uh, The dates there get, get updated periodically, but you'll see the next date coming up for middle class estate planning and asset protection or the next date for how will you pay for long-term care. And we just go into these complicated subject matters, and we break it down in plain English. We answer questions. Um, and, and even from those experiences, doing this show, doing uh, and then speaking with people who listen to the show, doing the, the weekly uh, workshops online, speaking to families in our offices at Keystone Elder Law, I start hearing a lot of the commonly asked questions And what I want to do today is go through some of these frequently asked questions. The questions I get about middle-class estate planning and asset protection, about long-term care planning, and and just go through and and hit some of the questions I hear all of the time. And if if you're hearing this, and I've I've told you how you can get registered for one of the workshops and and show up, uh, you, uh, ask questions, ha- get the explanation of how things work. Hopefully, in a, in bite sized, uh, plain English pieces uh, that you can digest. Um, you know, you can do that. And if you want previous episodes of this show, maybe this is the first time you're listening to the Later in Life Planning Show. Well, you can go to whp580.com and use the podcast menu up in the upper left. You'll find previous episodes of this show and just about any other podcast platform, whether it's iHeart, 
You might have the iHeart app on your phone or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. So I go into a lot of different topics uh, that are relevant to the later years of life, and these are all ways you can take in the many moving parts of a plan for the future. And, and ultimately, it will depend on on your family, your needs, your goals, your concerns. Um, and, and that's really, I think that's how you do it. Um, the first frequently asked question that I, I get from people is, is just generally about estate planning or legal planning for the later years of life. And it's where do I even start? And, and this question comes up a lot when People listen to the show, and one week I'm inter- I'm I'm interviewing somebody about Medicare, and the next week I'm talking to somebody about funeral planning, and then I'm talking about Medicaid for long-term care. There's just all of these different pieces of the puzzle, and there's there's a lot to take in, and you don't have to master it all at once. But education is a good first step. But where do you start with the legal planning when you're ready to take action? Action involves, I would say first, making a list of all of your financial accounts. Know who is on the deed to real estate that you own. If, for example, your spouse moved into your house when you got married and you never updated the deed to reflect both of you being the owners, do you realize the expense that will be incurred in the probate process if you pass away first and we just need to get that house into your spouse's name? So understanding what you have and how you own it is a great first step. And this this commonly asked question, where do I even start? Well, after you educate yourself and you start to learn the language a little bit and you start to understand all the moving parts of this, take action. Just make a list of everything you have Make a list of, or be aware at least, of how you own what you have. If there are beneficiaries listed on your life insurance or your retirement accounts, I don't know, simple questions like, is that person still alive? You know, are you, is it a previous spouse who is listed to receive all this money and not your current spouse? That would be terribly awkward. So we're, we're you know, looking at a number of different factors like this. Um, do not list your estate on your beneficiary designations, because if you do that, uh, then you might be just donating to the IRS or the Pennsylvania Department of Revenue. You're just giving up money to the government in taxes that you might be able to avoid. But at least understanding who the beneficiaries are on your life insurance or your retirement accounts. Once you know what you have and how you own it, then you can figure out what challenges might be ahead and how you are going to protect yourself from those challenges, but but starting the on the road of estate planning or uh, or or you know you don't just what you don't do is just go say well I need a will well okay that's one very small piece of the overall plan why do you think that's it you know and and if you take the time to educate yourself make a list of everything you have consider maybe health issues or concerns consider goals. Uh, whether it be a, a goal for supporting your spouse, supporting a child, supporting a grandchild, you, your goals are not going to be the same as anybody else's. And therefore, your plan really ought to reflect challenges that, that lay ahead, but also goals that you have in the future. And it all starts with understanding who, you know, who's in your family, what property do you have, uh, and so forth. I strongly recommend, of course, uh, that that people not make this a do-it-yourself project. 
you know, I've seen the forms, the, you know, the, the, the canned will or power of attorney document that you can get online. They contain none of the protections uh, that really ought to be there for predictable threats like long-term care. Uh, certainly doesn't explain to you what the what that tool is doing for you, so you're not getting any counseling. And frankly, you're making legal decisions that affect your family and your hard-earned savings. And unless you have the training and experience in this finite area, this very small area of the law, then doing it yourself is as risky as making medical or dental or accounting or engineering decisions by yourself. Let's face it, there's only, you know, YouTube's great. There, there's an awful lot that we can sort of fire up on the the, the internet, interwebs and, and figure out, uh, you know, what? how do I do this? And, and more than ever in history, we can we can figure out tasks and do, them, do those things ourselves. But I certainly hope you're not doing your own dental work. Um, and there's a limit, uh, you know, accounting, sure, you can do your own taxes, I suppose. But, but you know, the more complicated your life, the more you want to trust a professional, whether it's an accountant, uh, engineering decisions. I mean, <laughs> what professional decisions are you willing to do yourself, given that there's this is your family, this is your entire life? So if you're working with a professional like me, we're going to start with the education. That's kind of what I'm doing here. We're going to go into... Uh, you know what? What do you even have? What What's the health status of your family? What are some known threats in the future? And what are some maybe unknown at this time but predictable threats? Long term care is probably the the most predictable and most expensive threat that people face. Just because in in this country, you know, you you, you pay into the Medicare system, and Medicare is great. You do need Medicare, and you want to sign up on time and get the right plan for you. But that's your health insurance for trips to the doctor or the hospital for a procedure. But that's it. It doesn't cover the single greatest expense that it, that will hit middle class families, which is long term care. And you know, it's seventy percent almost of the population will need a higher level of care, depending on the level of care. And that's another thing you can get educated on, especially with my weekly workshops. Depending on the level of care, it might be way more expensive than than the cost of your house burning down. Except you don't have homeowners insurance for this. Medicare won't cover it. Um, you know there there are other ways to protect yourself from that cost. But uh, this is how I would get started. So I'm going to come back in a moment and talk about some of the other frequently asked questions I get once you're on the road of taking action to protect yourself from the challenges, the costs that come in the later years of life. This is the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. This is the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Cauley. I'm the owner of Keystone Elder Law, and I'm covering some frequently asked questions today. The you know, all the education that we do, whether it's through this show, whether it's weekly online workshops, which you can find uh, at KeystoneElderLaw.com, you get registered for that, uh, whether it's speaking engagements that we have, we're always trying to get the word out to people of things that they really ought to be considering because we see too many of the situations where adequate planning was not done and there are financial costs and there are emotional costs for the whole family involved. So moving on to some other questions, 
you know, a lot of people say, well, middle class asset protection, because I, I talk about long term care and I talk about asset protection and and people are saying, well, I don't have a whole lot of money. I'm not super rich. Why is that so important? And my response to that is that the middle class needs estate planning and the middle class needs asset protection more than anybody else. Certainly more than the super wealthy need it and more than people who are, are less fortunate and have nothing. Why? Because the holes in your shield will cause something to come along that wipes out everything you have. The less fortunate among us really you know, don't have uh, much to lose because if, if they need long-term care, for example, as close to 70% of the population does, it will be paid for automatically by Medicaid. If the super wealthy need long-term care, after all, they have the same likelihood of uh, having dementia, of having a stroke, of having uh, some uh, degenerative illness that affects their mobility— well, they're not going to have any problem paying out of pocket for it. But you, the member of the American middle class, will run out of money. And what will your spouse live on if you're married? You know, if, if you just burn through all of your life savings because through no fault of your own, you have dementia or you've had a stroke with lasting physical and cognitive impairments, what is your spouse going to live on? Were you hoping to leave something to your children? They're going to get nothing. Uh, if you don't do some asset protection. So this is why I think the middle class needs to to focus on their their estate planning and their asset protection even more than the wealthy do. And the, and the wealthy do asset protection, but they're fighting off a different threat uh, that, that the middle class doesn't have, and it's enormous tax liability to the IRS. That's not something that currently the middle class needs to worry a whole lot about because you need to leave close to $13 million dollars uh, in your estate before you start paying the IRS anything. So sheltering assets, uh, protecting them from, you know, according to the law, this is not, I'm not talking about tax evasion, but I don't do this kind of work. But the people who work with the super wealthy are finding legal means to to pay the IRS no more than than is absolutely required by law. But for everybody else in the middle class, this is what I do at Keystone Elder Law, and we're looking at specific threats like long-term care, um, and, and that will wipe out your life savings if you haven't done adequate planning. So I've seen this happen where, where people are in a pickle, and I just think, gosh, I wish I had seen these people five, ten years ago. We could have set up some things that would make this whole current situation be a lot less stressful on every level for these people. And it's not just... It's not just the the long term care. It's there are some tax issues with the middle class that I, I talk to people about. But you know, every family has its own unique family dynamics. Do you have a child or a grandchild with special needs? Do you have a child with addiction or money management problems? You know, these are issues that 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 need careful attention in your planning to preserve money while providing all the support that you would want to provide to those loved ones. And there's no reason why you can't provide the the support. Even, even after you're gone, you can be providing support to these loved ones who have special needs. But, you know, you don't just give money to them outright. There are some legal strategies and ways that you uh, make support and, and in the form of money, especially, or property available to them. But you do it in a way that, that uh, is structured for their protection. 
Next question I get an awful lot is, you know, I have a will. I'm all set, right? Well, you should have a will. That's one of the three fundamentals along with a financial power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney. But I'd like to know what's in your will. I'm glad you have it, but but what does it say? And know, you know, just the bigger picture. Know that a will does nothing for you until you die. So, and then even even at that point, the will is only a part of the picture. So, you know, know where it fits in the big picture. If you have life insurance or you have any sort of, you know, a retirement account like an IRA or a 401k, any other financial accounts that have beneficiary designations on them, you know, or or if you've, well, in that case, the, the money is going to flow through the beneficiary designation. The will has nothing to do with it. If you have accounts that you co-own, you list as a co-owner, or even real estate where you put a child on the deed, if you have a co-owner of accounts or real estate, the will does nothing there. So you have a will, but it has nothing to do with where you've arranged your finances. And this goes back to what I said earlier in the show about understand what you have and how you own it, because you might be setting things up where uh, you probably should have a will, but you're diminishing the role the will will play. And that might be a good idea anyway, but your will has nothing to do with it if you have beneficiary designations or if you jointly own the property with somebody else. It's important to know the, what the will does. It's The will is your admission ticket to a court-supervised process called probate, and it's a step-by-step process where you pay creditors off, you pay any of those last bills, you pay Uncle Sam your, your last income taxes, and then after you've done all of that, whatever's left gets distributed to the people listed in your will. But you don't even go through this process if you jointly own the property with somebody else, you pass away, the other surviving owner just automatically owns that property. If if there's a beneficiary designation on a life insurance policy or an account of some kind, that you don't go through the process in the court. It just you show them a death certificate and they cut a check. So that's important to know where the will fits into the scheme of things. And if you if all you have is a will, well, what what about your incapacity planning? You know, if you want there to be any money or property left when you die to go through your will, you need to have an incapacity plan. The the power of attorney is how somebody else, if you're incapacitated, can deal with all of the financial, the legal, the property-related decisions that you take for granted right now. So if you have a bad accident, if you have a stroke, Somebody else can seamlessly step up and deal with all of those decisions, make sure your bills get paid, make sure that any money you have in accounts gets managed, and so forth. And if you don't get that right, then uh, you know y- there might not be anything left because the power of attorney is pretty crucial for asset protection. And if you're listening to this and you, you say, well, okay, I forgot to mention I have a will, but I also have a power of attorney, good, even better. What I want you to do is look inside your power of attorney. It'll name who you are and who you're giving authority to to seamlessly step into your shoes and take care of everything that that you're used to doing. But page after page will be all of the types of authority that that person has. And I want you to look for gifting language. And if it says limited gifting or if it doesn't say anything about gifting or if it says something about the IRS annual exclusion amount, that's the same thing as limited gifting. It really ought to say unlimited gifting 
and go into some detail about, you know, what if what if I need you to get into my accounts, not just to pay my bills, but to wipe it out? I, I want you to move all the money out of my name because that's how I get eligible for Medicaid to pay for long-term care. I want you to be able to do that. Well, if you don't specifically give that kind of authority or any other kind of asset protection authority in your power of attorney, it doesn't exist. And therefore, you're just going to spend your money on long-term care until it's all gone, and then your will is meaningless because there's nothing left. So the power of attorney is where it all starts. That's where you do uh, that's where you authorize asset protection, and that's how we can protect the money that you have, even if you're incapacitated. In addition to the will and the power of attorney, do you have a health care power of attorney and living will? This has nothing to do with preserving assets, but it's preserving quality of life because, you know, if the doctor can't say to you, here's what we'd like to do to fix your problem, here are the pros and cons for our proposed course of treatment, and then you think about it and produce a response. You know, if that can't happen because you, you're unconscious or you've had a stroke or you have dementia, then somebody else has to make your medical decisions. And that's the tool, uh, one of the three fundamental tools everybody over the age of 18 should have, a healthcare power of attorney and living will. That's how you make sure that not only will someone make your decisions, but then in the living will, you go through a number of scenarios and you you state your wishes for quality of life. You know, at what point do you stop hooking me up to the next gizmo in the hospital and you focus on my quality of life? So the will, the financial power of attorney with asset protection built into it, the healthcare power of attorney. Now we're starting to talk about a complete plan, at least from the legal perspective. More on this when I come back from a break. You're listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now your host, Patrick Colley. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Cauley, and I'm speaking today about frequently asked questions that come up on the full range of issues when it comes to estate planning, legal planning, all of the things you might do to protect your money, protect your property in the later years of life. And before the break, I was talking about, uh, you know, someone says, I have a will, I'm, I'm all set. And really, the complete plan is a will, a financial power of attorney with asset protection built into it, a healthcare power of attorney and living will. But people will usually follow up with a question like, well, you know, I just need a simple will. You know, don't I don't need any fancy bells and whistles. And I'm not sure where they're getting that um, because that's a legal conclusion. That's like going into your your dentist and 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 saying, well, I just need you to, to clean my teeth. You don't have to bother looking at whether there's anything wrong with my gums or anything. Just just clean my teeth. I'm good. You know, it's you're not qualified to make that decision. But I will say that a, a will can be as simple as your circumstances are. It doesn't have to be needlessly complicated. But sometimes your circumstances are complicated enough that nobody's doing you a favor by by having a simple will in place. Now, what's an example? What am I talking about here? Well, remember what I was saying before the break about the power of attorney being that that engine of asset protection. It, it has, if you have that unlimited uh, gifting authority, if you have other authority to do 
asset protection built into your power of attorney. Now, what if I pick up your power of attorney and in order to avoid $13,000 a month bills for long-term care, I get all of the money using your power of attorney. I get all of the money out of your name. I move it into your spouse's name. This is, bear with me, a rather simplistic explanation of what we would do in this circumstance. But that's that's the end goal, is to make you broke on paper, uh, because that's going to be in your, your, your best interest and your family's best interest. But we get all the money into your spouse's name. So you've gone broke without running out of money. Um, and so that has all kinds of benefits for getting long-term care paid for by Medicaid, a system you've paid into anyway. Uh, this is the safety net. Now your spouse doesn't have to worry about those $13,000 a month bills anymore. Those bills stop. And so your spouse can focus on being your spouse, visiting you, making sure you're getting the care you need, but doesn't have to worry endlessly and lose sleep over going into poverty because of this situation. And then when we come back to the will, is a simple will good enough? Well, a simple will, as I understand it, is, uh, you know, here's who I am. Here's my here, who my family is. Now, I leave everything to my adoring spouse. And if, if my spouse has passed away, then I leave everything to our three children in equal shares. And that's it. It can be done in about a page and a half. That's a simple will. But how would that work in this situation where we've moved all the money into your spouse's name. Well, if your spouse, the formerly healthy spouse, suddenly passes away and you're getting Medicaid to pay for your long-term care, that will will destroy Medicaid because all of the money is coming straight to you with no protections in it whatsoever. So a simple will is is a terrible idea. The opposite of a simple will here would have asset protection built into it so that someone would ask a question first. Hold on. This deceased spouse wanted to leave everything to the spouse who's in the nursing home, but there's a provision in here that says you first ask, is my surviving spouse on Medicaid? Because if the answer is yes, don't give the money directly to my surviving spouse. Hold it in a trust that is built into your will, and it says just you know, use that money to enhance the quality of life of my surviving spouse. That's my primary goal. Buy them anything they want or need. But don't give it to them outright because once they have money in their name outright, they lose Medicaid. So all that money would just be spent on the nursing home and then there's nothing left for the children. So a simple will is a terrible idea in an awful lot of circumstances. A simple will might be a terrible idea if you have a special needs child, if you have a child who has struggled with addiction or money management problems, has lots of creditors because of a failed uh, business or lots of credit card debt, whatever the case may be, if there are special circumstances, a simple will, here you go, here's the money when I die, that that might not work out very well. You might want to have built-in protections for that situation. So just having a will is not having a plan because you need the power of attorney, the healthcare power of attorney. Just having a simple will is very rarely uh, a good idea. So I just wanted to go through that a little bit. Another commonly uh, asked question when I start talking to people about protecting what they have and their families from challenges in the later years of life is they they bring up, uh, I guess we're supposed to avoid probate. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've read that online. Maybe you had to settle the estate of a loved one in your family and you decided based on experience that avoiding probate is something that should be done. And maybe you're right. Uh, 
But first, know what probate is. It's, again, that's for your will. Your will is the admission ticket to probate. And probate is just a, first you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and then eventually you set, you close the estate and we have full closure on all the property. But the property only in the name of the person who passed away. So it's a, it's just a court-supervised process. It only deals with property that was in the name of the person who passed away. And we go through through the process to pay creditors, pay taxes, and then distribute what's left to the people named in the will. So why might you want to avoid that process? Well, I'll tell you, among lawyers across the country, Pennsylvania is known as a pretty easy place to have an estate go through probate. Um, maybe your personal experience settling the estate of a loved one in Pennsylvania was not what you expected. Maybe it was more complicated than what you expected, but just figure this. I mean, states like Florida or California, it can take three years to settle an estate. It, it's much more costly and, and expensive and uh, and, and uh, just takes longer. And it's So Pennsylvania, in the scheme of things, isn't that bad, but you might still want to avoid it. Why would you want to avoid it? Uh, quicker access to money because a bank account that's tied up in probate for, I don't know, if everything goes really well, 13 months, maybe 14 months. Um, nobody can access that money because it has to be available for the creditors and the taxes and so forth first. So if you want quick access to the money, that's one reason to avoid probate. Um, if you want to lower the cost, you know, the, the any fees going to the court, any fees going to, to uh, uh, a law firm or somebody else who's administering the estate, yeah, you want to avoid that, I suppose. Um, avoiding something involved with Medicaid is really important. So why would you avoid, uh, what do you avoid with Medicaid by avoiding probate? Well, probate is where after we go through all the steps to get somebody eligible for Medicaid to pay for long-term care, what if Medicaid pays, I don't know, two, $300,000 worth of care for somebody during their life and then they pass away? Medicaid has a, a federal legal obligation to go after the estate and to get paid back. That's something a lot of people don't realize. And so you, there, the law does allow you to shelter any sorts of assets from the, so there is no estate and therefore there's nothing to get paid back from. Uh, but that's definitely something that if you go through long-term care planning, you want to avoid, you want the person getting Medicaid to have nothing because that's, you know, you don't want probate and you don't want uh, the government saying, oh, you died owning a house, sell that house, all that money is coming to the government. So when we do Medicaid planning at Keystone Elder Law, we're not just getting you eligible for Medicaid, we're having a plan so that ultimately there will be no probate. You, you will never have that expense, you will certainly never have the government getting paid back from what you die owning because we're going to make sure there's nothing there, we're going to keep it all in your family. So how can you avoid probate? Well, you have to just know the other ways that property transfers from you to somebody else. So if you jointly own property, whether it's a bank account, whether it's a piece of real estate, that's one way. I'm not saying this is, you know, please don't take this as any sort of legal advice because this always comes down to the personal circumstances of each client. And I couldn't possibly give advice to anybody without going through those details of their life. But one possible way might be joint ownership of a, of an account or of real estate because then 
we don't go to probate. We don't pick up the will at all when one joint owner passes away. It's it's just now the property of the surviving joint owner. Um, look at your beneficiary designations on any accounts, payable on death or POD designations on bank accounts, beneficiary designations on life insurance or retirement accounts. That's, again, that you avoid probate if you have a beneficiary designation, but you, you want to make sure they're updated. You want to make sure it's going to people you want. Another way to avoid probate is with some form of trust. So you're, the whole idea of the trust is you're getting something at whether it's your home a vacation property, maybe even a life insurance policy, maybe certain financial accounts. We're getting them out of your name. So the primary reason we're doing that is is to protect assets from certain threats like long-term care, but it also won't be in your name to go through probate. So there's a little bit on probate. We'll come back with some more frequently asked questions in a moment. I'm Patrick Cauley. This is the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Cauley. We're back on the Later in Life Planning Show. I'm your host, Patrick Cauley, and I'm talking about frequently asked questions in legal planning to build that shield to protect yourself and protect your family from the costs and challenges that come in the later years of life. Before the break, I was talking about, you know, people people come to me and they want to avoid probate. And this is, you know, something that either from their personal experience with probate or something they read online or heard that that's a goal people should have. And I talked about the ways of doing that. Well, it's, there's other ways that property will transfer that you can just use those ways instead of uh, dying with property in your name only. Therefore your will goes through probate. So if you want to avoid that one way, you use one of the other ways. And one of them is joint ownership of uh, an account or joint ownership of real estate. And so people often, often ask me, should I add my child as a co-owner on a bank account? So the reasons why people do this uh, might be to avoid probate. It might be a related issue, which is they want to reduce the inheritance tax. I'll talk about that a bit in a moment. Um, but they also sometimes just want to do it for convenience. Like if I can't write checks to pay my bills, well, I just put my child as a co-owner of the account. They can write the checks. Well, on that last one, so on the uh, the the writing checks, the managing the money, you know, you don't need co-ownership for that. A power of attorney allows somebody to do that, and without the downside of what happens if the child you just made a co-owner of your account gets into creditor issues you know they they get into an accident their insurance doesn't cover the whole cost of what they owe or they have they have credit card bills or something else happens where people are coming after them for money well by making them a co-owner of your account their problems are your problems so you that's you, you avoid all of that just by using your power of attorney and the 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 adult child can can take care of writing checks that way but avoiding probate by by using uh, co ownership that's true. Uh, you do avoid uh, probate. You do avoid probate if if there's joint ownership. Um, you you might be able to accomplish the same goal 
Even with a bank account, if you get what's called a POD, payable on death designation on your bank account, uh, it's like having a beneficiary designation in the same way you do on life insurance or uh, retirement accounts. So you just, then it, when you pass away, the money just gets paid out. It doesn't go through the whole step-by-step -step process with the will going through probate. Um, and but but there's another part of this. I, I talked about reducing the inheritance tax. Let's understand what that is. In Pennsylvania, we're one of six states, and and they say Pennsylvania is a great state to retire in because they don't tax your retirement income. But then you pass away, and boy, they get you because we're one of six states that that we have an inheritance tax. So based on who's getting the property from you, there's a certain percentage that goes to the Pennsylvania Department of Revenue. So if it's your child, your grandchild, it's 4.5% of the money. Um, if it's uh, a sibling, it's 12%. If it's someone who's unrelated to you in a lineal sort of immediate family way, it's 15%. So you might want to find ways to avoid the inheritance tax if at all possible. And if you add a child to as a co-owner of a bank account, they're only going to pay that 4.5% inheritance tax on the half that they inherit when you pass away because they already own half if you put their name on there as an owner. So they own half, they only inherit the other half, even if it's all your money. The downside is when you, another downside to this way of thinking is if you add your child as a co-owner and your child dies before you, you pay inheritance tax on your own money to get that other half back that, that you had given to your child. So I have that doesn't happen often, but I have seen it happen, and that's a point of some frustration for people. So I don't tell people that you definitely should not list co-owners on a bank account, uh, but you have to know all these details before you can decide whether it makes sense for you, whether it's even necessary to do that. The related question is that I often get is, uh, should I add my child as a co-owner on my real estate? This one is almost certainly a bad idea. Uh, not, even if we get past, you know, if you do that and, and within five years you need Medicaid to pay for long-term care, you've just disqualified yourself because of gifting rules. Um, and then we can get into some issues like you're losing control over the asset if you put your child's name on it, uh, even in part. You're, you're losing control. That can take various forms and cause various problems. Um, but the most important problem is you're giving your child a ticking tax bomb, and it's the capital gains tax I'm concerned about here. So, you know, it, you you want your child to inherit the property. So if, if you paid uh, $100,000 for the property in 1985 and it's now worth $350,000, you don't want your child to be stuck even in part with the 1985 value of the property for when they go to sell it because if that's if 1985's value 100,000 is the floor and whatever they sell it for in modern times you know that you can now figure out the profit and that's where there will be capital gains tax where the government will swoop in and take an awful lot of your money and it, it contrast that if if the child inherits the property through a will, through a trust, then the the floor steps up. It becomes whatever the, the property was worth on the day you pass away. Therefore, the child can sell it, and in the eyes of the taxing authorities, at least, there is no profit and therefore no capital gains tax. So if you give any part of it away during your life, 
there's going to be capital gains tax. If the child inherits it through a will or through a trust, then uh, then you, you avoid that capital gains tax. Related question, well, maybe not so related. If we if we switch gears a little bit, another commonly asked question, when should I start protecting what I have from long-term care costs? So even if you have a parent or a spouse who is currently receiving nursing home care and spending an awful lot of money for, for that care, there are still opportunities for asset protection. So we can stop the financial hemorrhaging and um, and accelerate uh, the process of going broke while keeping money in the family instead and not completely running out of money. So there's always things we can do. But if you're still healthy, here are the things you can do in the meantime. Well, number one, as I've already touched on, you have a power of attorney that has asset protection built into it. So that's a good first step is make sure you have a good power of attorney. That's how your money can be moved and protected if you become incapacitated and need long-term care. Especially if you own real estate that is not where your primary residence is, you you could have an asset protection trust. So when would you start doing this? I don't know, your 50s, 60s are always a good time to do that. I've done it for people in their 70s and 80s, but then the longer you wait, the more likelihood that you're not going to get the full value out of it if there's a long-term care event. You could consider long-term care insurance. There are a number of types. Uh, A recent episode of this show featured Brian Kennedy from KCA Wealth Management discussing long-term care insurance. Uh, I do not sell long-term care insurance, nor should any other attorney in Pennsylvania, according to our ethical rules, but there, I can certainly make recommendations uh, for people to talk to about long-term care insurance. But the past episode with Brian Kennedy was uh, went into this quite a bit with the types, the factors to consider. You do this while you're still healthy because that's how you get through underwriting with the insurance company and that's how you get an affordable premium. So when, I don't know, maybe in your mid-50s at the latest. You can consider pre, uh, prepaying for a funeral p- plan because then that money will be off the table for long-term care costs. And when should you do that? Well, there's, it's part of holistic planning. Do it while everybody's still uh, still healthy. And a past episode of the show with Jill Lazar went into this. So I've gone through a number of commonly asked questions, and this is just scratching the surface of, of questions um, on planning ahead, the various tools that you're planning ahead with, uh, so, sort of when you do this. I talked about the asset uh, protection and avoiding the inheritance tax in Pennsylvania, which is difficult to do. You can, you know, we could get into gifting, for example. You can give money away, and then you're going to avoid the inheritance tax in Pennsylvania. The only way it blows up is if you need care in the next five years and you need Medicaid to pay for it. Now, what was really good tax planning blows up and now you have a gifting problem where you Medicaid's not coming to the rescue to pay for your long-term care. So sometimes uh, looking at, at what your health looks like is a part of what you're, you're planning. Um, could go into a lot more detail about this, but what I want to do is remind you that Keystone Elder Law does weekly online workshops. If you go to keystoneelderlaw.com, You'll see the workshops tab. We have one on middle class estate planning and asset protection that tries to put all this together sort of in a logical, plain English fashion so that it makes sense to you. There's another one on that goes even deeper on how you pay for long-term care, one of the most significant threats. 
And so you can start to learn the terminology and the concepts and be ready for that. Please go check out KeystoneElderLaw.com, the the workshops. uh, We get a lot of good feedback from them so that you can learn more and then start taking action. Thank you for listening to the Later in Life Planning Show. I hope you join us next week for another episode. This is News Radio WHP 580.